We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 405 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. And note, we have a new name for Commander's Headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. Are you ready for this? Ortho Virginia Training Center at Commander's Park. There you go. Rolls right off the tongue, right? Ortho Virginia Training Center at Commander's Park. The team's headquarters had been known as the ANOVA Sports Performance Center, but the team and ANOVA are uh, no longer buddy-buddy. There's a lot to that, uh, including, we believe, this. So part of the ANOVA health system is the ANOVA Shar Cancer Institute, which is named after, yes, one of the team's former minority owners, Dwight Shar. We, in May 2015, learned that uh, Dwight and his wife, Martha, had donated $50 million to build what became the Anova Shar Cancer Institute. Uh, it was Dwight Shar, who our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, has claimed helped to fund the smear campaign against Dan in the summer of 2020. So yeah, no more Anova. Anova is out. Ortho, Virginia is in. Ortho, Virginia Training Center at Commander's Park. Whatever happened to just calling the place Redskins Park? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast that is with you each weekday, Monday through Friday, and is available to you oh so early each weekday. Uh, I follow sports so that you don't have to, and we have a lot to get to on this show. Uh, coming up, is a lot on the Commanders as they on Wednesday at, yes, Ortho Virginia Training Center at Commanders Park began their practice week for what is this Sunday afternoon, the NFC East opener, home to the Philadelphia Eagles at one. Next segment, I will talk Commanders offense, including some good injury news, finally, for the offensive line. And I will talk a whole lot about our Commanders quarterback and, of course, former Eagles quarterback, Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson, on Wednesday afternoon, did a post-practice press conference. He got asked a lot about having played for the Eagles. And as we have seen many times now, 
He handled the questions well. He said all of the right things, also said some encouraging things. You will hear every significant thing that Carson said. I'll also talk about Carson and the commander's passing offense off stuff that Carson said and that commander's head coach Rod Rivera in his post-practice press conference said. Some good stuff from both guys on Wednesday afternoon. And then after that, uh, I will talk commander's defense. Good injury news for the commander's defense on Wednesday afternoon. But How is that defense going to do against the Eagles offense, which has been among the most impressive offenses in the NFL so far this season? I'll get into that, as well as what Ron had to say about the Eagles offense and also about Commander's linebacker, Jamin Davis. Boy, Jamin has been out there a lot lately in terms of being a topic of conversation. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, Tuesday night, each team suffered a 3-2 loss. Wednesday, each team won to avoid a three-game sweep uh, for the Nats, an impressive 3-2 win at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves on Wednesday afternoon as first baseman slash right fielder Joey Manessis struck again two for four with a two-run homer, a single, and an intentional walk. What a run this guy is on for the O's, uh, an 8-1 win over the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday night as Jordan Lyles tossed his first complete game since September 30th, 2012. And the Orioles offense, which had been struggling, actually did well. And also on the show, I will talk college football. I have a Goldilocks segment for you, a preview and a pick for Virginia Tech's game against West Virginia at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Thursday night at 7.30. This is a major opportunity for the Hokies. You know, they have not defeated a non-conference Power 5 conference team in a game since September 3rd, 2017, when Tech defeated then number 22, West Virginia, 31-24 at FedEx Field. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Joe on the commander's defense, writes Joe, I'm a huge fan of your podcast and I've listened to you since your Team 980 days. Congratulations on surpassing your 400th podcast. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Joe. Continues, Joe, the defense is so defenseless. Since the preseason, the defense has reminded me of last year's defense. I'm speechless and can't understand how two coaches who are former linebackers are so inept (laughs) at coaching this defense. Rob Schneider's Waterboy soundbite, oh no, we suck again, is how I feel about this defense. Can you play that soundbite? Thank you for the email, Joe. Uh, Yes, I can play that soundbite. Oh no, we suck again. (laughs) There you go. That is a great soundbite, by the way. Uh, Look, I hope like heck that the commander's defense ends up being at least decent this season. I do think that that's possible, but there's no question that the defense was a major disappointment last season and uh, that the defense was not good in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions this past Sunday afternoon. Email from Jeffrey Southworth with a fascinating idea for the commanders, writes Jeffrey. I'll start with this. My optimism regarding Carson Wentz and the passing offense is just as high as it was last week. It's an exciting feeling knowing that you can score quickly, play to our strengths, throw, throw often, embrace your strength, which brings me to the problem and the would-be solution. 
The problem is more than poorly timed mistakes or slow starts. The problem is a lame approach to winning in today's NFL. We're watching other teams around the league flip their fortunes with young offensively minded head coaches. The Dolphins are 2 and 0 with Mike McDaniel. The Giants are 2 and 0 with Brian Dable. The Lions are a solid 1 and 1 with Dan Campbell, not to mention the success of the Bengals with Zach Taylor and of course the Rams with Sean McVay, the Packers with Matt LaFleur and the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. Heck, the Vikings probably will do well with Kevin O'Connell. What is this organization not understanding? Our philosophy and general approach are outdated. We are being led by Ron Rivera and, to an extent, Jack Del Rio, two linebackers from the 1980s and early 1990s. Some may even say that linebacker is a diminished position in today's game. They clearly have no idea of how to stop an offense in today's game. Heck, it would appear that they don't know how to scout and coach a linebacker in today's game. Sorry, Jamin Davis. Best case scenario, Ron would make a decent front office guy. Solution, I can't say he is the answer, but it would be a start in the right direction. Move on from Ron and promote Scott Turner to head coach. At this point, I really have to wonder if Ron is holding Scott back. How much say does Ron have on the offensive game plan? I'm not sure. Maybe a lot, maybe a little. I still think this could be a fun 9-10 win team, maybe a 10-11 win team if Carson Wentz goes on a heater. I do know that after three years of this, I'm pretty convinced that this may be a coaching and philosophical approach issue more than anything. At this point, I am most interested in the combo of Scott Turner and Carson Wentz. Am I full of emotions? Or am I on to something? Be well, my friend. Uh, I love it. Thank you for the email, Jeffrey. My man Jeffrey thinking outside the box. So fire Ron Rivera and promote offensive coordinator Scott Turner to head coach. Uh, <laughs> that is what you call thinking aggressively. Uh, well, a few things. So firing Ron as head coach this early in the season would be crazy, okay? The team is one and one. It may be that the team is on its way to having a good season. I do like a lot about Scott Turner as an offensive coordinator, but whether he would be a good head coach is a different conversation. You know, what has been said many times over the years about Scott's dad, Norv Turner, is that he was a great offensive coordinator, but a not-so-great head coach, although he did have a pretty good run as head coach of the San Diego Chargers, but he did not have great head coaching runs with the Redskins and Oakland Raiders. Uh, being a head coach isn't just about X's and O's, right? It's about a lot more than those things, and how would Scott be with the other things? And so that brings me to this, the Danny Factor. Being the head coach of the Commanders is different from being the head coach of any other NFL team because of our co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Part of the appeal of Ron Rivera, remember, was that he was experienced and respected enough to where he, with this coach-centric approach, could handle Dan Snyder and manage Dan Snyder and properly navigate all of the potential pitfalls that come with working for Dan Snyder. How would Scott Turner do in those regards? And what would happen with the front office, right? Who would run player personnel? Because you wouldn't just make Scott Turner your head coach with the same coach-centric approach that you now have with Ron Rivera. You wouldn't have Scott Turner being the head coach and overseeing player personnel. So look, generally speaking, the trend in the NFL is toward having a young offensive-minded 
head coach. And, you know, if things ultimately do not work out with Ron Rivera as commander's head coach, then getting a young offensive-minded head coach probably is going to be what the commanders need to do. But, you know, the situation here is different. And being the head coach of this team isn't just about managing players. It's about managing up. It's about handling and dealing with Dan Snyder. And it's ridiculous that that's how it is, okay? I hate that that's how it is, but uh, that is how it is. Well, if what is for your lawn is that it doesn't look so good, uh, you gotta get with Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great, fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. Uh, Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality, uh, the best weed controls, state certified seed. Uh, Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic-based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow-release nitrogen that feed your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. And so put Weedman to work for you. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. So take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That's 571 571- 340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast. You could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, the 1-1 one one Commanders host the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. First NFC East game for each team this season. Ron Rivera is 6-6 six six in NFC East games as Washington's head coach. Washington in its 7-9 2020 NFC East winning regular season went 4-2 in NFC East games. Washington in its 7-10 2021 regular season went just 2-4 in NFC East games. The Commanders on Wednesday began their practice week for this game against the Eagles. Rod on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on the nature of NFC East games. Well, first the familiarity, you know, um, that, that's the truth of the matter is that, that you play them twice a year, you play nobody else twice and you play them every year. Um, and then the next thing about it is because it's a divisional game, the thing we all have to understand is you, if you want to win in your division, you got to control your division. If you finish with a, with a winning record in your division, there's a good chance you've got to win it. So they're very important. Then you're playing at home, you want to defend at home more so than anything else, you want to defend your turf. That's what makes these games so, so important. So, um, so much so that there is a little extra emphasis. It just happens that way naturally. 
Well, there certainly is a lot of emphasis on this Commanders-Eagles game this Sunday afternoon. A win would be so big for the Commanders in so many ways. Good news for the Commanders offense. Every offensive player on the team's 53-man roster practiced to at least some extent on Wednesday. Uh, two Commanders offensive players were limited participants in practice. Right guard Trey Turner due to his problematic quadriceps and offensive lineman Sadiq Charles due to a shoulder. But every other Commanders offensive player on the 53-man roster was a full participant in practice, including guard slash center Wes Schweitzer. Uh, Schweitzer for the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two was inactive due to a left hamstring injury with which he dealt in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. But Schweitzer, a full participant in Wednesday's practice, so he, in theory, could be the commander's starting center for Sunday afternoon against the Eagles. So the commanders on Tuesday placed their top center, Chase Roulier, on the reserve injured list and signed unrestricted free agent center Nick Martin. Uh, Roulier suffered a reported right knee injury late in the fourth quarter of the loss at the Lions. The commander's second string center, Tyler Larson, remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He was put on that on August 23rd. He's still recovering from an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. And so if Wes Schweitzer now is healthy, then he could be the commander's starting center this Sunday afternoon. Although I suppose it's possible that Nick Martin could start. I mean, Martin has started a bunch of games. He's the brother of longtime Dallas Cowboys right guard Zach Martin. Uh, Nick Martin was taken by the Houston Texans in the second round of the 2016 NFL Draft at a Notre Dame. Uh, this season would be his age 29 season. He was the Texans starting center from 2016 through 2020. He, over those four regular seasons, missed just two games. He started at 62 of a possible 64 games. Uh, Martin spent the 2021 regular season with the Las Vegas Raiders, but did not register any starts. Well, whoever starts at center for the commanders for this Eagles game uh, will be snapping the football to quarterback Carson Wentz, who, as you may have heard, <laughs> used to play for the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles took Carson Wentz with the number two pick in the 2016 NFL Draft at a North Dakota State. Uh, the Eagles traded up to do this. They moved up from number eight in the 2016 draft to number two in the 2016 draft. And they, to do that, traded two first round picks, those in the 2016 and 2017 drafts, a second round pick in the 2018 draft, a third round pick in the 2016 draft, and a fourth round pick in the 2016 draft to the Cleveland Browns for their first round pick in the 2016 draft and a conditional fifth round pick in the 2017 draft. Carson Wentz was an Eagles quarterback for five seasons, 2016 through 2020. He, in the 2016 season, had a promising rookie season. He, in the 2017 season, played at an MVP level, but he, in December 2017, suffered a torn left ACL, causing him to miss the rest of that Eagles 2017 season, which resulted, of course, in them winning the Super Bowl. Carson also missed the first two games of the Eagles 2018 regular season, and things were never quite the same for Carson with the Eagles. Uh, Carson, in December 2018, missed the Eagles' final three regular season games due to a back injury. Carson, in January 2020, left the Eagles' 17-9 home loss to the Seattle Seahawks in the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs due to a concussion. And Carson's 2020 season was one of the worst seasons that you'll ever see an NFL quarterback have. This was his final season with the Eagles. He, in the 2020 regular season, despite starting just 12 games, ended up having an NFL worst tying 15 interceptions and taking an NFL worst 50 sacks. And then, of course, 
There's the off the field stuff, uh, including the supposed jealousy slash resentment from Carson toward quarterback Nick Foles during his run to leading the Eagles to the Super Bowl title for the 2017 season and toward Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts off the Eagles taking Jalen in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on if there will be a lot of emotion for him in facing his former team. You know, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, I'm excited for it just because of the, the nature of the game. Obviously, you know, they, they've started hot. You know, we, we know where we're at um, and everything. It's a divisional rivalry, all, all of those things. I've been a part of this one. Uh, I know the emotion that goes into it um, from, from the other side. So, so I'm excited for it. Um, but again, you know, you try not to make, make the game bigger than it needs to be. Every week's a big week. It's hard to win in this league. Um, and so I know once that first kickoff goes, it'll be, it'll be football again. And uh, I'm excited for all right I mentioned the Eagles trading up in the 2016 draft to take Carson Wentz the Eagles in March 2021 officially traded Carson to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2022 conditional first round pick and a 2021 third round pick Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on if memories from either of those two trades stand out to him uh, I mean, <laughs> this league, my career has been a whirlwind. I'll tell you that much. Uh, a lot of really good memories from my time there. I'm not going to lie. Um, a lot of great friends, a lot of great relationships that I made. Um, you know, so uh, definitely we'll have some mixed emotions in, in terms of those things. But nothing nothing crazy jumps out other than, you know, my time there uh, was a whirlwind. It was wild. Um, this NFL is a whirlwind. Um, but I'm grateful to still be playing and uh, I'm excited for this one. Well, as you probably can tell, Carson Wentz at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon took the high road. Uh, he did not say anything remotely controversial or inflammatory, and that, of course, is how he should have played things. Here was Carson on Wednesday afternoon on if it stung him to be gone from the Eagles when they traded him. Yeah, I mean, I think any time in life you, you get thrown a curveball like that, things change when you you know you think you know. <laughs> Anytime you think you know what, what's what life's going to look like, you know, sometimes I always think God's up there saying I'm in control. And, and and for me as a man of faith, I think that's where my faith kicks in and just saying, okay, God, what do you have next for me? Um, you know, I definitely cherish my time that I had up there. It was definitely uh, a wild ride in, in many many ways. Um, you know, I grew a lot as a man. You know, got married, had a had a child, uh, a lot of things. And so I'm very grateful for my time there. But it definitely, it does catch you off guard. Things change and, and you got to learn to grow up and change and adapt. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the, the changes that life has brought. Um, and I've grown a lot from it. Yeah, again, nothing but class from Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon. I mean, he really has become an expert in answering questions about what went wrong with the Philadelphia Eagles, what went wrong with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, at this point, the guy could teach like a graduate level course on how to handle difficult questions. I found this notable, though. He did admit that he has realized uh, that he can be better as a person and as a teammate. Here was that. Your perspective changes when, A, you grow up, A, you know, you have, you get married, you have to have a kid, you know, I think your perspective on life changes on, <clears throat> on your job, on work, on everything, and, and just, um, you know, I think there are, there's always things I look back on that, man, I could have been better here, I could have been better as a person, as a teammate, you know, lots of things um, that, that you do take for granted, and so I think, uh, I definitely thank God for the experiences I've had, even though sometimes they're, they're dark, or sometimes they're, you know, not how I envision them to be, but I think it's allowed me to grow uh, as a person, and, and I'm thankful for that. 
I like that from Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon. Quote, there's always things I look back on. Man, I could have been better here. I could have been better as a person, as a teammate. You know, lots of things that you do take for granted. End quote. I get that these are all just words and actions matter much more than words matter. Uh, But if you're like me and you're hoping that the commanders have an awakened Carson Wentz, a new and improved Carson Wentz, uh, those words are encouraging. Uh, All right. So Carson Wentz used to play for the Eagles. Fine. Uh, What matters the most to me, and I'm guessing to most of you, is how Carson is going to play this Sunday afternoon against the Eagles. The Eagles through two weeks of the 2022 regular season, number nine in the NFL in total defense per football outsiders DVOA metric, number four in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, uh, but just number 29 in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. That's interesting. Uh, The Eagles in their 24-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings this past Monday night made, yes, Vikings quarterback and yes, (laughs) former Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins, look hideous, okay? Poor Kirky. I mean, he got owned in that game. Kirk in that game, one touchdown pass versus three interceptions. He threw for just 221 yards over 46 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.8. That is an atrocious yards per pass attempt. Uh, Quarter Darius Slay put the Vikings stud receiver, Justin Jefferson, on lock. Uh, Slay versus Jefferson in that game for Pro Football Focus. Six targets, just one reception allowed, and two interceptions. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on the Eagles defense. Yeah, they play fast. You know, their front, um, they've always had a, had a really good front. Um, and, you know, the same thing goes this year. You know, their, their DBs do a good job. Uh, obviously, creating turnovers like we've seen the first couple weeks. And um, they're good defense. They, they play fast. They play hard. Um, you know, I wouldn't say they're anything exotic. Um, so we kind of know what we're going to get. But uh, that just means we got to execute and out-execute them. Um, so we'll be, uh, we'll be up for the challenge. Now, while the Eagles' defense has done well so far this season, so too has the commander's passing offense. Carson Wentz, through week two of the 2022 regular season, number 14 among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 51.7, number eight among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 7.47, number 12 among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in completion percentage at 65.5, number two in the NFL in passing yards at 650, and tied for number one in the NFL in touchdown passes at seven. Those are some pretty good rankings. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon got asked if the trade market for quarterbacks has gotten more competitive over the years off the commanders, of course, having it traded for Carson Wentz this past March. And Ron, in his answer, got to talking about Carson from a statistical perspective. Here you go. Uh, Again, this starts with Ron on if the trade market for quarterbacks has gotten more competitive over the years. It has gotten much more competitive. I mean, um, not only is, you know, the need for a quarterback, you know, very prevalent throughout the league, um, the, the the people that are you know willing to do what they can to get the quarterback is is even more so, um, and then the information we get, the analytics we had last year, looking at at Carson and studying it, um, I think really spoke to why, you know, he's had the success. I, I know, um, you know, he's a guy that if you look at his numbers, he's playing to those numbers again. Last year he was rated very high. Um, 
you know, I did have the fortune of, of having a conversation with one of you about that and, and, and showing the numbers and talking about the numbers. And that's what it is. You just have to look at those numbers and that tells you who he is and, and, and why he's important to us. Yeah, the numbers for Carson Wentz as a commander's quarterback so far are good. The commanders through week two of the 2022 regular season are number 14 in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA. Uh, That ranking would be higher if not for some, shall we say, lulls (laughs) that the commander's offense has experienced. Yeah, that's like a polite way of saying uh, stretches in which you don't do so well, Uh, especially, of course, the lull in the loss at the Lions, because that lull uh, lasted for the entire first half. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on the lulls that the commander's offense has experienced so far this season. I think I think we've shown um, that it just takes one play. I think you know for us it's it's you know last last game not getting a first down those first couple drives and just missing here or there just one little thing if we can just find a way to, to force issue and you know find a first down create one play one chunk play to kind of spark a little momentum spark a little bit of that uh, we got to find a way to do that we got to find a way to execute early um, you know we did week one week two obviously <laughs> it took us a while to get going there um, and, and that's part of early in the season I think is part of it the NFL's hard you know te- defenses do a good job preparing as well so uh we just got to find a way to bring that energy and bring that execution uh for four quarters and not just you know in spurts well you would think that a substantial lull for the commander's offense this sunday afternoon against the eagles uh, could be doom given how well that the eagles are playing one more for you ron rivera on wednesday afternoon on if there is anything about carson wentz through two regular season games that has surprised ron no, to be honest, it's it's just you know we we as a as a team I think is are still finding our way with him you know just learning what he's capable of and learning how he helps us um, as a football player and and I think as as we continue that you know we'll continue to have good things happen for us. Well, we always want good things to be happening for you in your life, but if you or someone who you care about has been wronged, no law firm will handle that situation better. Then Paulson and Nace. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly 
$1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, let's talk commander's defense off the team practicing on Wednesday in preparation for this Sunday afternoon's NFC East opener, home to the Philadelphia Eagles at one. There were three players on the commander's 53-man roster who did not practice on Wednesday. All three of those players, defensive linemen, uh, edge defender Casey Tuhill did not practice on Wednesday due to a concussion that he suffered in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions this past Sunday afternoon. Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise did not practice on Wednesday due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions. And edge defender Shaka Tony did not practice on Wednesday due to illness. So defensive line depth for the commanders remains a concern. The commanders on Wednesday did sign interior defensive lineman Donovan Jeter to their practice squad. A Jeter in the loss at the Lions played on 30% of the commander's defensive snaps of the team having just signed him to the 53-man roster as an unrestricted free agent. On September 12th, the commanders this past Monday afternoon announced that they had released Jeter and claimed interior defensive lineman John Ridgway off waivers from the Dallas Cowboys who took Ridgeway in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Arkansas. But the commanders now have Jeter back, albeit on their practice squad. Uh, linebacker Cole Holcomb was listed as a limited participant in practice on Wednesday due to a quad. But the good news is that both interior defensive linemen Jonathan Allen and safety Cameron Curl were listed as full participants in practice on Wednesday. Allen in the loss at the Lions played on 85% of the commander's defensive snaps. That's a high playing time percentage for him, uh, despite him being questionable for the game with a groin injury that he suffered in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. Curl for the loss at the Lions was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. As you may recall, we on Tuesday morning had multiple reports that Curl has been cleared to return. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on what Cam Curl would bring to the commander's defense were he to play against the Eagles this Sunday afternoon. You know, there's a, uh, there's a, a familiarity with Cam's play. Um, he's a guy that can give you a little bit of presence in the box as well, a little bit more than the other safeties. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a nice sized body, very physical football player, very smart football player, very headsy guy, he communicates very well out there too. So it, it, it'll be very nice to have him back on the field for us. So with 
the commander's defense. Uh, it is coming off a uh, not-so-good performance in the loss at the Lions. And the commander's defense this Sunday afternoon will be facing an Eagles offense that has been terrific so far this season. Week 1, a 38-35 win at the Lions. Week 2, a 24-7 ripping of the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. The Eagles through Week 2 of the 2022 regular season at number 5 in the NFL in total offense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Number six in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA. Number three in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA. And a big reason for all of that, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. Uh, He threw week two of the 2022 regular season is number seven among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 70.8. And he is number one among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt at 9.14. Hertz has been outstanding. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on Jalen Hertz. Well, the first thing, challenge he presents is that every time he has the ball in his hands, it's a run-pass option. And so that's the thing you've got to be able to do. With him, it's all about discipline. That's one of the big emphasis this, this, this week is just discipline. Discipline in your assignment. Uh, discipline in how we want you to do your assignment. And we'll continue to focus on discipline against this football team and this football player. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell, discipline is the key word for the commander's defense against Jalen Hurts this Sunday afternoon. Now, the Eagles had a good offense last season. The Eagles finished the 2021 regular season number 11 in the NFL in total offense per DVOA, number 14 in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA, and number three in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA. What's different about the Eagles' offense now is that it has receiver A.J. Brown. Uh, The Eagles, this past April 28th, acquired Brown from the Tennessee Titans and then signed him to a big-money contract extension, a four-year, $100 million contract extension that included a $40 million guaranteed at signing. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on if the Eagles' offense is different now that it has A.J. Brown. It's it's the same offense. I mean, they do what they do. They do it very well. Um, the only difference is, as you said, they got AJ Brown, and he's a very good football player. He really is. Um, there there's a huge discrepancy in targets. I believe he's been targeted 21 times, while his the closest next receiver is 11. So you know, you know, he is a bell cow out there. Um, he's averaging 10 and a half targets a game. So he's somebody that we most certainly are are aware of. Rod Rivera was correct with those target stats. A.J. Brown over two games in the 2022 regular season, 15 receptions for 224 yards on 21 targets. Jalen Hurts has 44 completions, 15 of them have been to Brown. So how is this commander's defense going to do against the Eagles this Sunday afternoon? The commanders through week two of the 2022 regular season at number 28 in the NFL in total defense per DVOA, number 20 in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, and number 31, i.e. next to last in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. So think about that for a moment. You have the commanders with the next to last run defense in the NFL facing the Eagles with the number three rushing offense in the NFL. Not exactly an ideal matchup. Uh, There are a lot of commanders defensive players who need to play better. One of them is corner William Jackson III. Uh, His overall grade for pro football focus through two games of the 2022 regular season is just 54.5. PFF grades are on a scale 
of 0 to 100. Go back to the loss at the Lions this past Sunday afternoon. Quarterback Jared Goff's late first quarter, third and five, 13-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. St. Brown made the catch over a diving William Jackson the third, who slipped as the ball was coming towards St. Brown. Ensuing extra point gave the Lions a 12-0 lead. We heard a lot in the months leading up to this season that William Jackson the third was more comfortable in Washington's defense and was poised to have a bounce back 2022 season off a very mixed 2021 season with Washington. He was really bad early in the season. He was better as the season went on. Well, so far, William Jackson III has not looked so good. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on if he sees William Jackson III being more comfortable in the team's defense. I think for 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 the group, it's you, you see a lot more comfort out there, a little more confidence, you know. But the the biggest thing, and again, the thing we talked about as far as last game was concerned, was you know the explosives more than anything else. And and it's one of those things that you have to shore up those little details, as I talked about earlier in this press conference. Is that there's a discipline to playing this game, and if you're not disciplined and you're not where you're supposed to, they're going to find you. And and that's the truth of the matter in this game, uh, because there's you know you got to give credit to the other team as well. Yeah, so Ron Rivera didn't really answer the question, which was specifically about William Jackson III, and uh, I think that says a lot. Uh, This was Ron on Wednesday afternoon on those defensive players who stood out to Ron in the loss at the Lions in a positive way. Well, I thought there were, there were several guys that, that played well. I mean, you start with the defensive line. You, you, you really appreciate what uh, Jonathan Duran are doing as a tandem on the inside. I, I thought both guys played well. Jonathan, considering you know he had he had the groin, uh, Duran really stood out, did some really positive things. As you know, when you, when you look at Montez, those things. I thought James Smith Williams really was solid. I really do. I really thought he had a, he had a nice game. And uh, Fa Obata, we moved him. We had to move him down into the three technique uh, a lot more than we typically would have uh, because of the injury to Daniel. And I thought he handled that fairly well. I thought Jamin did play well. I thought there were some good things that he did. A couple things he's got to work on and continue to improve and get better as a football player, but I thought he did some nice things. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think Kendall continues to compete on the outside for us and setting the tone in Temple for us. You know, he, he was he was solid. Um, and I, th- I think Bobby played pretty well. You know, we, we, we got a good group of guys that got to continue to work together and just become more and more comfortable with one another back there. All right, so notable that Rod Rivera right there praised linebacker Jamin Davis off everything that has been going on with him. Uh, Defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-practice press conference last Thursday afternoon, critical of Jamin Davis. Uh, Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference this past Sunday, critical of Jamin Davis. Uh, Jamin this past Monday on his Instagram had a since-deleted post of a video from the movie Django Unchained talking about people being ungrateful. Uh, But Ron is right. Jamin in the loss at the Lions did do some good things. Uh, The Lions' first offensive drive was the opening drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter three and out. Fourth snap of the drive, Jamin Davis, a third and 12 sack of Jared Goff for a 12-yard loss. Jamin came in unblocked on a stunt and tackled Goff to give the Lions a fourth and 24 at their 11. Uh, Lions' third offensive drive resulted in a first quarter turnover on downs. Third snap of the drive, second and goal at the three. Jamin Davis tackled running back Jamal Williams on a shotgun handoff run for no gain. Lions' ninth offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive, Jamin Davis tackled running back DeAndre Swift on a second and six under center handoff run for no gain. However, the very last question 
at Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon was about whether the commander's defense has leaders who can get it through the tough times. Uh, I want to play that answer for you because to me, Ron in the answer revealed what a big part of his and Jack Del Rio's problem with Jamin Davis is. Take a listen. I think we do. I, again, I, I think as we go through this, you know, it's it's one of those things where because of some of the younger guys, we, we have to stop waiting for other people to make plays. You know, some of us try too hard and put ourselves out of position. The other ones are kind of a little, uh, we got to cut loose. If it happens, it happens. But, you know, there's a great little saying that says the play doesn't care who makes it. So if you're where you're supposed to be doing the things you're supposed to, the play will come to you. And, and that's one of the things that we got to get across to our young men, that, that, hey, just do your job, do your job as best as you can, and a lot of good things will take care of itself. So how about that? Ron Rivera in that answer, quote, we have to stop waiting for other people to make plays, end quote. And Ron made it clear that the we to whom he was referring were younger players. Uh, Boy, does that sound like he was talking about Jamin Davis, especially when you consider that Jamin multiple times has referenced the need for him to make more plays. Like, it would seem that that has been emphasized to him big time. Jamin, you need to make more plays. And look, he does. Uh, But to his credit, he did make some plays in that loss at the Lions. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, the legend of Nats first baseman slash right fielder Joey Manessis continues to grow. A monster home run on Wednesday afternoon in a 3-2 win at one of the best teams in the majors, the Atlanta Braves. Much more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the most losses for the Nationals in a regular season since the franchise came to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason is 103 losses in the 2009 regular season. The 2022 Nats are almost certain to surpass that loss total, but the hope has been that the 2022 Nats will not equal or surpass the franchise record for most losses in a regular season. That record is 110. The 1969 Montreal Expos lost 110 games. The 2022 Nats now are a win away from guaranteeing that they will not lose at least 110 games. And that's on Wednesday afternoon, one at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves, 3-2 to avoid a three-game sweep and to improve to a major league worst 52 
in 97. And so, yes, manager Davey Martinez can be proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, thank you, Davey. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon won, despite being out hit by the Braves 10-6, but hitting in baseball so often is about quality, not quantity. All 10 of the Braves hits in the game were singles, and two of the Nats' six hits in the game were extra base hits, including a big home run by who else? Joey Manessis. Joey Manessis on Wednesday afternoon as an ad starting first baseman and number three batter. Two for four with a two-run homer, a single, and an intentional walk. Uh, Manessis in the top of the first, a two-out first pitch single to center field. Manessis in the top of the fifth drew a two-out intentional walk. And Manessis in the Nats two-run seventh, a one-out two-run homer on a bomb to left field on a one-two pitch for a 3-2 Nats lead. That was some shot by Joey Manessis. The homer went and projected 420 feet per stat cast. So here we are, yet another big game for Joey Manessis with the Nats. The Nats on August 2nd, what was 2022 MLB trade deadline day, selected the contract of Joey Manessis from AAA Rochester. Basically, every Nats fan was down in the dumps that day with the team having traded right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. Little did we know that we had the second coming of Juan Soto, who had just been called up from AAA Rochester. Now, Manessis is an older player, and that is part of the charm of his story. This is his age 30 season. This was his 10th minor league season. He had never played in a major league regular season game, and yet he, since being called up by the Nats, has an OPS of 927. He has a batting average of 328. He has an on-base percentage of 364, and he has a slugging percentage of 563. It really is amazing what Joey Manessis is doing. Davey Martinez, during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon, was asked if he could see Joey Manessis being a 30-home run hitter. You know, I could see Manessis doing a lot of things. I won't put any numbers on him, but, you know, this guy could hit hit a lot of doubles. Um, he's start, starting to understand, you know, what balls he really does hit hard, and um, and, and he stays he stays in the middle of the field for the most part. So um, he has good at-bats. You know, I love watching him hit because he puts, puts together some good at-bats. Major League Baseball history is filled with guys who did well late in seasons and then were basically never heard from again. So you got to be careful with going too crazy with what Joey Manessis is doing, but A, it is super impressive, B, it is a lot of fun, and C, it's okay to start thinking that this guy might be something for the Nats. I mean, here's the thing now with Joey Manessis, he now has totaled 187 major league plate appearances. The sample size is growing, and if he was going to be a player who got exposed once there was ample tape on him, well, wouldn't that have happened already? I mean. The tape is out there, right? 187 major league plate appearances. And yet, he has continued to hit. He can hit for power. He can go the opposite way. He gets hits in plate appearances in which he's down 0-2-1-2. I mean, the guy is proving himself to be a very capable major league batter. Uh, Another key contributor for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, believe it or not, was catcher Tres Barrera. Uh, So the Nats on September 1st recalled Tres Barrera from AAA Rochester, but he had not played in a single game for the Nats since then. He, for whatever reason, had been buried on the Nats bench, uh, even with K. Barrett Ruiz out with injury and likely done for the season. The Nats on September 9th 
placed Kbert Ruiz on the 10-day injured list with a testicular contusion that he suffered in an 11-6 win at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals on September 8th. The Nats starting catchers lately had been Riley Adams and Israel Pineda. Well, Tres Pereira finally played on Wednesday afternoon, and he did a nice job. Uh, he is the Nats starting catcher and number nine batter, went two for four with two singles and went one for two on runners trying to steal. Barrera in the top of the third, a one-out single up the middle on a one-two pitch that was fielded in shallow center field, and Barrera actually ended up sliding headfirst into first base, and that's a big no-no in baseball. You're not supposed to do that, but Barrera in the Nats one-run fifth had a one-out single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch, and Barrera in the bottom of the seventh threw out Vaughn Grissom on an attempted steal of second base for the third out to complete a strike him out, throw him out, double play with the Nats nursing a 3-2 lead. So nice job by Tres Pereira. Who the heck knows when the next time will be that he plays, uh, but he certainly made the most of his playing opportunity on Wednesday afternoon. Luis Garcia on Wednesday afternoon as an ad starting second baseman and number two batter, one for four with a double and a walk. Garcia in the top of the third drew a two-out six-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.12. And then Garcia in the top of the fifth had a two-out first pitch double to right field. And the Garcia double and the Joey Manessis two-run homer with the Nats only two extra base hits in the game. Uh, Victor Robles on Wednesday afternoon made a great defensive play for a second consecutive game. Uh, Robles was the Nats starting center fielder and number seven batter. He went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, but he made an outstanding defensive play. Bottom of the fifth, one out, Vaughn Grissom on first. Nats trailing 2-1. Robles, a diving forward catch of a Ronald Acuna Jr. fly ball in shallow right center field. Robles then got up and then fired a bullet to Joey Manessis at first base for an 8-3 double play. I mean, that was a really impressive defensive play by Victor Robles. Robles in the 3-2 loss at the Braves on Tuesday night as an at starting center fielder and number eight batter, one for four with a single and another great defensive play. He in the bottom of the six with the Nats trailing 2-1, made a terrific diving catch in the right center field gap of a two-out liner by Travis Darnot for the third out. Uh, Paolo Espino was the Nats starting pitcher in this 3-2 win at the Braves on Wednesday afternoon. He was making a spot start and he was decent. Uh, he allowed two runs, one earned in four innings. He gave up four hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded two strikeouts. He threw a good number of pitches, but did throw a lot of strikes. Uh, 71 pitches, 50 strikes versus just 21 balls. I think the biggest thing that stuck out about Paolo's outing uh, was his own defense. Uh, Paolo, the fielder, failed Paolo, the pitcher. Uh, Paolo, in a Braves one-run first, committed two throwing errors, a two-out throwing error on a pickoff throw, and then a throwing error on a two-out single by William Contreras on an 0-2 pitch for a one nothing Braves lead. Contreras, with runners on first and second, hit a dribbler toward the third base side of the infield. Paolo barehanded the ball uh, and then made a woeful throw to first base. Uh, but the Nats' bullpen on Wednesday afternoon was really good. Four Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Hunter Harvey entered the game in the bottom of the fifth with a runner on first, no outs, and the Nats down 2-1. He induced that fly-out double play off the bat of Ronald Acuna Jr. Did then give up a two-out full count single to Dansby Swanson to left field, but then struck out Austin Riley on seven pitches for the third out. Andres Machado tossed a scoreless bottom of the sixth despite giving up back-to-back two-out singles. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed two scoreless innings. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh that concluded with uh, quite the plate appearance, a 12-pitch plate appearance by Dansby Swanson 
that resulted in that strike him out, throw him out double play that I referenced earlier when talking Tres Pereira. And then Edwards tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth despite giving up two singles and a walk. And then Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. Uh, really good work by the Nats bullpen in this game. Finnegan looked great off, remember, looking bad and then great on Tuesday night. Finnegan on Tuesday night in the bottom of the eighth gave up a leadoff opposite field home run to Dansby Swanson to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Braves lead, but then recorded three consecutive swinging strikeouts of the Braves' numbers three through five batters, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Travis Darno. No game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them is a three-game series at the Miami Marlins Friday through Sunday. Now, that was more like it from the Orioles on Wednesday night. You know, they were in danger of being swept by the lowly Detroit Tigers in a three-game series at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And then Jordan Lyles happened. We had Jordan Lyles to the rescue on Wednesday night. So the O's are in playoff contention. The Tigers have the second worst record in the American League, and yet the O's had lost each of the first two games in this series against the Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Monday night, an embarrassing 11-0 loss. Tuesday night, a 3-2 loss. But Wednesday night, an 8-1 win as Jordan Lyles tossed his first complete game in nearly 10 years. And the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, we call that the win column. Uh, the O's now are 77 and 71 and now are four games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. And how about Jordan Lyles? He had not been good in each of his last two starts. He has had a very up and down season for the O's, but the ups have been quite up and he has consumed a lot of innings for the O's, and he on Wednesday night was great. Lyles tossed his second career Major League Complete game, tossed his first Major League Complete game since September 30th, 2012. He allowed one run in nine innings. He gave up just three hits, a homer, and two singles. He had six strikeouts versus no walks. He was very pitch efficient, and he threw a ton of strikes. He, over his nine innings, only threw 94 pitches, and he threw 72 strikes versus 22 balls. Just outstanding. And consider this too, Lyles tossing a complete game uh, gave the Orioles' much-used bullpen a night off as the O's are in the midst of zero scheduled off days until the end of the regular season. The Orioles' last off day was last Thursday, September 15th, and the O's do not have another scheduled off day the rest of of the regular season. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on why Jordan Lyles was so good on Wednesday night. Uh, I mean, just the strikes he threw. I mean, he threw 72 strikes and 94 pitches. So it really looked like everything was going working really well with Robbie back there. I thought they were totally in sync the whole game. Um, the one mistake was an 0-2 heater that he tried to front hip Carpenter there, which he had done a nice job of on, on a few left-handers, um, just left it in the middle part of the plate. But uh, you know, besides that, gosh, he was keeping them off balance. I think he was, the breaking ball was, two breaking balls were good. And uh, just on the board, I haven't watched the replay, obviously, but just on the board, some of the, some of the sinkers he was throwing, um, they had a ton of movement. Yeah, so Jordan Lyles now in the 2022 regular season, 30 starts, an ERA of 450, and he has done this over a team-high 170 
innings pitched. Uh, this is his age 31 season. He has been a lot better for the O's than he had been for the Texas Rangers in recent seasons. The O's this past March 12th officially announced the signing of Lyles as a free agent to a one-year contract with a club option for 2023. The O's are Lyles' seventh Major League team. Lyle signed with the O's off having pitched for the Rangers over the previous two seasons, 2020 and 2021. And Lyle's over those two regular seasons had an ERA of 560. He this season has been a lot better than that. And, you know, you think about this the O's this season really have demonstrated an ability to fix slash improve slash develop starting pitchers. When you think about Jordan Lyle's and Austin Voth and Dean Kramer, and Tyler Wells. I mean, that is so encouraging if you are an O's fan. And it was encouraging to see the Orioles struggling offense have a good game on Wednesday night. The O's totaled eight runs, nine hits, five walks, went five of 10 with runners in scoring position. We had another multi-hit game for Gunnar Henderson. He is the Orioles starting shortstop and number three batter, two for five with an RBI single and another single. So Henderson's OPS since being brought up to the majors on August 31st now is 929. Uh, but the biggest offensive standout for the O's on Wednesday night was Kyle Stowers. Uh, he is the Orioles starting right fielder and number seven batter, went two for four with a two-run homer and an RBI single. Uh, Stowers in an Orioles two-run sixth, had a one-out two-run homer to left center field for a 5-0 Orioles lead. And Stowers in an Orioles three-run eighth, had a first pitch RBI single to center field for a 6-1 Orioles lead. Uh, the O's on August 19th selected the contract of Kyle Stowers from AAA Norfolk. Uh, He's another one of these highly regarded prospects for the O's. The O's took Stowers in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft out of Stanford. Stowers at the time of the call-up to the majors was ranked as the Orioles' number nine prospect per MLB pipeline. He has struggled at the major league level so far, but he on Wednesday night had a nice game. Next up for the O's, a four-game series against the American League leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one Thursday night at 7.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And before we call it a show, we must talk college football because we on Thursday night have a big game for the Hokies. And so I have a Goldilocks selection for you. Virginia Tech home to West Virginia Thursday night at 7.30. Tech per win bet as of a very early Thursday morning is plus two. Uh, so the Hokies improved to 2-1 overall with a 27-7 win over Wofford at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia last Saturday. Not exactly what you wanted if you're a Hokies fan. Understand, Wofford is an FCS team that came into the game with a record for the 2022 season of 0-2 and came into the game without having scored a single point in the 2022 season. Tech did win the first half 20-0, but we then had a scoreless third quarter and then each team scored seven points in the fourth quarter. So yes, Tech won the game by 20 points, but to me, a really good Tech team would have destroyed this Wofford team. Instead, Tech didn't even win the second half. Uh, Now, the Hokies' new starting quarterback, the Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, he did play well. Uh, He went 26 of 35 for 314 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He averaged 8.97 yards per pass attempt. He took one sack, and he quarterbacked a Hokies offense that went 7-13 on third downs. And Wells did all of this despite one of the Hokies' best receivers, Caleb Smith, leaving the game due to injury. But I thought that Tech's running game 
was disappointing. Running backs Jalen Holston, Chance Black, and Bryce Duke combined for 37 carries for 136 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 3.68 yards per carry. Now, Tech was missing some key backs. Running back Malachi Thomas remained out due to injury, and running back Keyshawn King did not play off having suffered an injury in Tech's previous game, the 27-10 home win over Boston College on September 10th. Uh, The Hokies' defense in the win over Wofford was really good. Uh, Wofford advanced into Tech territory just once the entire game. Uh, The Hokies held Wofford to just 199 total net yards of offense and to just 3 of 11 on third downs. And the Hokies did this despite being without some key players. Defensive lineman Taiwan Garbett did not dress for the game. He was on the sideline with his right foot in a walking boot. And defensive lineman Josh Fuga did not dress for the game due to injury. The Mountaineers of West Virginia, uh, they are 1-2, a 38-31 loss at then number 17 Pitt, then a 55-42 overtime home loss to Kansas. But the Ears uh, did win last Saturday a 65-7 win over Towson, but Towson is an FCS school. Uh, the Hokies so far this season have not been impressive offensively, but they through week three were number 16 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for the 2022 season. West Virginia has been the opposite of Virginia Tech. Not bad offensively, but woeful defensively. So we have a bad Virginia Tech offense against a bad West Virginia defense, and we have a good Virginia Tech defense against a good West Virginia offense. Uh, The public is heavily on West Virginia, but the line for this game has moved toward enticing you to bet West Virginia. We call that reverse line movement, an indication of sharp money on Virginia Tech. So if the Sharps like the Hokies, I do too. Give me Tech plus the two. Yes, thank you, Snoop Dogg. Uh, By the way, Thursday night, historically a good night for Virginia Tech. Tech has played 33 games all time on ESPN's Thursday Night Football. The Hokies' overall record in those games, 23-10. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 406, will be a football Friday extravaganza. In-depth preview of the 1-1 one one Commanders against the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at 1. We on Thursday expect to hear from Commanders offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio via post-practice press conferences. I welcome on a special guest to talk Eagles, Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. And I'll give you my rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Eagles. Also on Friday's show, college football. We'll discuss whatever happens in Virginia Tech's home game against West Virginia on Thursday night beginning at 7.30. And I'll conduct Goldilocks for the rest of of College Football Week 4. Previews and picks for Maryland at number 4 Michigan this Saturday at noon. Virginia at Syracuse Friday night at 7. And Navy at East Carolina Saturday evening at 6. And on Friday's show, we'll talk Orioles. The O's on Thursday night at 7.05. We'll begin Game 1 of a four-game series against the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Because of some of the younger guys, we, we have to stop waiting for other people to make plays. 
You know, some of us try too hard and put ourselves out of positions. Other ones are kind of a little, uh, we got to cut loose. If it happens, it happens. But, you know, there's a great little saying that says the play doesn't care who makes it. So if you're where you're supposed to be doing the things you're supposed to, the play will come to you. And, and that's one of the things that we got to get across to our young men, that, that, hey, just do your job, do your job as best as you can, and a lot of good things will take care of itself. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.